Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 7 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're joined by a new guest, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Uh, and th- This is the first episode we've had in quite a while as well. I know we did our season two recap of Rebels, and then uh, just... All of us were very busy moving and Oof. traveling and all sorts of things. Yeah. Business trips. So we're back. Somebody went to celebration. We, we won't be gone. We promise we won't be gone as long um, in the future. But uh, for now, you know, I guess we're back from our what three month hiatus or something. That's all. That's too long out. for me. That was. Way that hasn't been quite that long. I don't think. Uh, middle. I, mean, I think it's like early April. Early April was the last episode. It's been way too okay. long. No, yeah. you've done an episode since then. Did we? Oh, see, there you go. Correct Bloodline me. came out on May the 3rd. Uh, yeah, and yes, we did review Bloodline. Right. And, oh, I know why. I know what happened. Okay, so yeah, it was, uh, our, our episode was, our Blood, Bloodline episode was like sometime in, I think like the second week of May or something. Mm-hmm. You're right. Thank you, Amanda. So it's not, oh, I was worried it had been longer than I thought, but still, two and a half months is way far, too long. too long between episodes. Way, way, way too long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it kind of worked out because last time we reviewed Bloodlines, and now we're here to talk about the next novel in the Star Wars canon, which is, of course, Aftermath Life Debt. Yeah, but why did it have to be Chuck Windig? Sorry. Anyway, I think there's some. I, <laughs> well, sorry. We'll get there, Tom. I know we'll okay. get there. I know we'll get there. Tom well, clearly has some strong feelings. Well, let's I, get through announcements. I know. Let's get through the synopsis, then we can start. Okay. I was going to say bashing, but I didn't I'm, actually I'm not. Okay, wait a minute. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be that bad. I, I uh-huh. found a I found a way to actually read him. I'm not going to be that bad this time, but I think we do have announcements to get to because somebody there there were a couple of things that happened between now and our last episode. That's right, and and uh, I think William, are you doing the announcements? Yeah. So um, the first big one is as of uh, I think a day or two ago. Um, as you're listening to this, Star Wars Episode Eight has completed principal photography, so they're done shooting. Obviously, they'll they'll come back, I'm sure, for pickups, etc. But um, they're done with principal photography, and they're moving into uh, post-production. So that's very, very exciting. Uh, the other big news and uh, was uh, this, all the all the announcements coming out of Celebration Europe. We're going to do a dedicated show about Celebration Europe uh, very, very soon. But um, in the meantime, you know there was a there was a big rebels announcement. Uh, I'm sure all of you saw the season three trailer, and, which not, included. Stop, yeah, it. if not, please go watch you it. You haven't seen it? Go watch it first, and then come back. Pause it. Um, but the big announcement from that trailer is that Grand Admiral Thrawn himself is coming to Star Wars Rebels this season. Super exciting, and Max. he is so well done. I I had the. Uh, I was lucky enough to see the first two episodes of season three at Celebration Europe, and boy, were they great! I mean, I don't, I don't want to hype it up too much because it's not necessarily on the scale of the season two finale, just because um, that was like the culmination of 
you know, eight years of Star Wars television um, uh, buildup, basically, with Ahsoka and Darth Maul and everything else. But the introduction of Thrawn is exactly what fans have wanted. Um, so they did a very good job there. And of course, you're going to see a lot of other great characters as well, Wedge, etc. Um, we just have too much going on right now between, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Aftermath, Life Debt, and Celebration Europe. So we're going to review Life Debt. Then we'll come back and do our review of Celebration Europe and our, our recap. Can I can I jump in really soon. quick? Uh, yeah. Myself, Mark Hurlman, uh, Nathan, and I think it was Matthew from Cloud City Casino. We actually did a special episode of the uh, Couch Potatoes Guide to Celebration Europe. And we sat here and we had a great discussion about some of the announcements. So take a look for that. I don't think it's been posted yet, but I'm pretty sure Mark's going to have it soon. But awesome. that's going to be over at the uh, Star Wars Report. So keep an eye out for that. It was a lot of fun. Um, and this is where I'm not going to talk about Chuck Wendig because I did all my talking over there. Fun. Yep. Cool. Uh, the other big piece of the news, obviously, the Rogue One teaser that was shown there. If you look carefully online, you might be able to find a leaked copy, but you didn't hear that from me. Uh, there's the uh, behind-the-scenes video from Rogue One, which was um, also aired on ABC. Uh and they announced that Alden Ehrenreich is the new Han Solo. They officially confirmed that. It's like the worst ton. kept secret in the galaxy. It really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah, and well, there's so much more that we're going to recap. But um, since, uh, Amanda, since you were there, you want to briefly talk about your experience at Celebration? What you thought? Oh, it was my first Celebration. So I was basically overwhelmed. It was another uh, occasion of getting up at four in the morning to fly over to London to be there for it. Um, it was It was the best day just listening to Mark Hamill talk and tell stories and seeing the Rogue One panel and seeing that sizzle reel, people were disappointed that they didn't get to see more online. Uh-huh. And I was like, getting up at 4 a.m. for that sizzle reel was worth it. Like, it was incredible. Just the, the whole experience was phenomenal. It really was. It really was. <clears throat> so and I, uh... I wanted to steal the giant TIE fighter in the main hall. <laughs> wanted to bring it home. Yes, oh, to have been to Celebration Europe. So, but but Celebration Orlando is just a few months away. It's in April, so um, hopefully we'll we'll see all of you there. I, I believe we're all gonna we're all gonna try to make it uh, as as much as possible. Um, pesky ocean weren't in the way. Hey, hey, I I flew across halfway around okay. the world to okay, for, for London. But, you, but you can it, join us for Orlando. If I understand correctly, it's not an ocean. It's called <laughs> the pond. It's across the pond. That's true. Yeah. It is indeed. As, it's as a really said. big pond. Yeah. It's a very big pond. <laughs> uh, so uh, the other big thing... Um, oh, so also just a little quick tease. In our Celebration Recap, we will have an exclusive interview with Sam Witwer, the voice of Darth Maul. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, that should be a lot of fun as well. It's, it's fairly short. Um, there wasn't a ton of time, but we were able to... To, to catch him and, and chat about what, his what's performance this we? in season two and three. I yeah. don't remember anything cool like that, William. Yeah, I, I wasn't there either. So who's who's the other part of your posse that you had there? Because you kept saying we. Oh, it's, uh, well, we as in the show are going to have this interview that you'll be able to hear. Okay. Because um, <laughs> even Tom, behind the scenes, Thomas even haven't even heard this interview yet. Oh, nice. Uh, but nice. no, nice. um I did it with uh, Riley and Bethany as well. They were also there uh, at the the Star Wars Rebels press line, and so they interviewed Sam, and then I interviewed Sam, uh, and, and so it should be uh, should be a fun that's interview. Re- really cool. 
Yeah. And yeah listen listen cool. to the Star Wars report for their interview. We have a completely different interview with, with Sam. Um, yeah, definitely. So with that, let's uh, get into our review of Aftermath life debt tom you want to give us the uh, episode rundown this is a big one okay i, I think big, i can do it it's been a while but i'm good for this one the galaxy is changing and with peace now a possibility some dare to imagine new beginnings and a new destiny for han solo that means setting oh sorry settling his last outstanding debt by helping chewbacca liberate the wookies on his home world kashyyyk meanwhile Nora Wexley and her band of rebels pursue Admiral Ray Sloan and the remaining Imperial leadership across the galaxy. Sloan, increasingly weary of, or whatever it is, of the mysterious fleet Admiral, desperately searches for a means to save the crumbling Empire from oblivion. Even as Imperial forces fight to regain lost ground, Princess Leia and the New Republic seek to broker a lasting peace. But the rebels' hunt for Admiral Sloan is cut short after the disappearance of Han Solo and Chewbacca. Desperate to save them, Leah conscripts Nora, Singer, Jazz, and the rest of their team to find the missing smuggler and help them in their fight for freedom. Awesome. So obviously, as, as, as I think most fans know, this is the sequel to Aftermath, which was really the first book post-Return of the Jedi that we got uh, in the in the new canon, and uh, it was not without its controversy. Uh, I enjoyed it. It had its flaws. It wasn't perfect, but I thought it was a you know a decent book. Uh, I know Tom, you were not as thrilled by it, um, uh, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I okay. we don't have to love everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't. I mean, I I did. You know what? This is the fastest I've read a Chuck Wendig book, and the reason why I did. I just read the dialogue every once in a while. I skimmed over a paragraph to figure out what was going on, but I got to a point to where, and I know I've said this in the previous podcast when we, we did uh, aftermath. If I have to have an author explain to me how to read his book, um, I have a bit of, bit of a problem with that because I read an awful lot. I, in fact, I was going through my books today going, boy, you know, I've got all the star Wars books going from legends up to the new, you know, the, the, the new Canon. I've got, you know, uh, Tom Clancy, Dale Brown, Stephen Koontz, Harry Turtledove, if you're aware of him as a sci-fi writer. You want to talk about a guy who's hard to read, but he's actually, when you understand, huh, you don't need to have jazz in the background to understand how to read him. He's not that bad. But for Chuck Wendig, his I think he writes his dialogue better than his actual novel because I was able to read the dialogue much easier than some of the, the paragraphs in his novel. That's how I was able to get to this book quicker. Yes. I, yeah, I, I thought that this one was much improved. Um, I just wanted to where we, we get this, this more controversial topic out of the way so we can focus on the story. Oh, no, that's fine. Because uh, I, I, yeah. I, and you know what? I, I, I will agree on that respect. I think he was much more improved than his first book. There wasn't so much squirrel going on in the book. Um, <laughs> there, was still, there was still the couple of the, and I will say a couple of the sentence fragments or the couple two-word sentences but mm-hmm. I found that but earlier it was much on, fewer. Yeah, it yeah. was earlier on. Um, I thought his glossing over a few things that made people upset to where he tried to be neutral on characters, that I found a little irritating because to me it was too obvious he was trying to be character neutral with this one character. Mm-hmm. But that's when I got to the point where it's like, you know what? The easier way to read him is just his dialogue. And I think that for me made it easier for me to go through the book and then skim the paragraphs every once in a while. I still got the gist of the book, 
So this style of this style of narrative definitely lends itself more to the action sequence and less to exposition and that which we as readers need to know. Right. So mm-hmm. when he gets to the space battle, it's not hard to read. No. And that terse, mm-hmm. quick, fast turnaround of short sentences, the choosing to write in present tense, all of that really adds to the action and action sequences. But um, it can give you a heart attack when you're just talking about two people sitting in a room having a meeting. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, I totally, totally it, agree with you. When I first started reading it, there was a lot of... Uh... Like, I'd have to spend, like, 15 minutes reminding myself how to read the Chuck Wendig book, and then I'd be fine thereafter. But it was just, Hmm. especially at the first start of the book, when I was first kind of getting back into his style, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I have to sit down. It's hard. Like, I have to force myself to read the first little bit because it's just Mm -hmm. not, it's hard. It doesn't grab me in the same way other novels have. Right. I actually reread Aftermath before this book came out. I spent a couple of days rereading it, sort of get my brain functioning that way again. And um, it also reminded me how much I didn't care about the characters from the original Aftermath book. Yep. Um, yep. He, yeah. he had me at the beginning, right? Uh, Wedge Antilles with his data pad with the sand in it. Mm-hmm. You've got right. me now. And then he spent the rest of the book unconscious. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did. I cared a little more this time because now I know who Temin grows up to be. And that one helped. Yeah. 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 I, I so, think, actually, can I talk about my first ma- my major gripe with this book, I think, now that we've talked about Wedge? Go ahead. So this okay. is this is not going to be what you're thinking, William. Okay. No, that's fine. And, but, then, and then I want to so, go back to what Amanda touched on. No, that's that. So in the first book, Wedge is tortured and you know broken bones, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, okay, fine. And then they mentioned Wedge again at the beginning of this book. I'm like, awesome. We're going to have Wedge be like a big character. He's going to be in part of the action. Now, for some reason, you know, we can stick Luke, who's been mauled by a womp and a back to tank, and he's good to go in like a day. Mm-hmm. But Wedge needs to spend like three months walking around on a cane unable to do anything grounded okay, okay. Useless. it really really bothered me okay. and sad yeah and and that also it was kind of sad yeah and, and i i agree with you Stephen, because i think later in the book somebody i cannot remember the character's name but somebody gets like this emergency patch of bacta that's that's injected into them to heal faster i can't it, it was toward the sloan, end sloan does yeah. thank you okay thank you sloan gets it it's like okay well why does she get it to where she's starting to heal faster than Wedge. Why? Mm. And, and I think that's right. Because we need a reason for Wedge not to f- like solve everything in the book. Because Wedge is yeah. amazing. Okay. Basically. Okay. Basically. But then, but then I, I tweeted this. I'm like, Chuck broke his body in the first book. And then he comes to this book and breaks his heart. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about Wedge yep. standing there with a bouquet of flowers. Like, yeah, because they, they, they gave uh, uh, Wedge a, a love interest in this. So they... they, um, they they started to develop this relationship between Nora and Wedge. Um, Which made me finally care about Nora more. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Exactly. That helped. yeah. Until it didn't. Unfortunately true. Yeah. Until her husband returns, uh, who everyone thought was long lost and, and, and dead. And um, that was, was part of the Yeah. And that was Poor that Wedge. Was, yeah. Bless his heart. And then he seemed to kind of get shuffled out, you know, kind of put in the background again of the book. Well, until, after that point, until the end. I, I'm about to say yeah. he shows up yeah. again in, in true Wedge Antilles fashion and kicks some butt. Yep. Yes, he does. It. I have a feeling that uh, 
Wendig just is a, a fan of Wedge, like many other people, and so saw the inclusion, the ability to include him, and was like, "Sure, let's do it," even though he's not really supposed to be a main character. Well, somebody needs to make him a main character. Can we get a book about oh, Wedge? <laughs> I, you know, I oh, think that's yeah. been the biggest problem with um, the Aftermath series so far. Um, and this is, I think, to your point, uh, Amanda. I really. I enjoy the the book itself. The hard part is I have trouble caring about the characters as much. Mm-hmm. Not that they're bad characters. I just I I don't know for some reason I it's it's hard for me to get invested in them. And I had that a uh, huge problem with that in the first one. In the second one, I actually started to care about them more. You know, uh, we we'd seen Sloane before in. Um, uh oh shoot uh what's the name of the the one by john jackson miller um the uh, a new dawn thank you it's a new dawn so 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 sloan's introducing a new dawn so we already kind of liked her but nora and um and and temin and uh jass and you know um uh john everyone else Sinjir, right they were all these new characters who we didn't really know anything about. And it's not that Star Wars has always been able to create new characters that we care about. But for some reason, uh, I just found it harder in, in Aftermath. In Life Debt, I had less of an issue. I think because maybe because we'd already gotten to know the characters in the previous one, there was definitely the connections that they brought out, like uh, Wedge um you know and, and Nora now made Nora more interesting uh Temin we we now have seen in The Force Awakens as uh Temin Snap Wexley mm-hmm. um and, and so you know we automatically care about Temin a lot more now because we've seen him in one of the Star Wars movies yeah uh, the, the fact that he older. grows up to work for Leia is what got my buy-in for that character exactly like, and okay, in this episode okay. now I care yeah, and in this episode, I think they had a lot more. They had a lot more of the main characters, you know, Han and Leia. Uh, even though they they weren't the the main focus of the book, they were more. They were in it more than just the interludes. Mm-hmm. They touched think, the yeah. story right. everywhere. Though. Yeah, versus the, even, the last book. Even when okay. they weren't on screen, they were touching the story. Exactly, yeah. and and they were the ones actually driving the plot forward. Mm-hmm. It was it was their situation that was causing all the other characters to be involved, and so we had to care about what those characters were doing because we cared about you know Leia finding Han. We cared about Han helping Chewbacca free Kashyyyk. You know we cared about those things. Therefore, we cared about these other characters, and who who we've already kind of now spent one book with as well. So mm-hmm. it, it you know I think it helped more in that regard. Um, and I, f- I found the whole dynamic now with the Imperials very interesting uh, with Sloane and this mysterious you know, fleet admiral and everything. So I think so, in this one, it was it was definitely... And there's a lot we'll, we're going to go back and touch on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found it, it, it was easier to read and care about the characters, but still some of the, the, the side characters... Not side characters, but you know the the other newer characters that didn't really necessarily have a major connection, like Jom and Jass and Sinjir. I enjoyed, but still not. I, you know, I still didn't care about them quite as much. I, so I generally agree. I actually thought Sinjir was one of my favorite characters in the novel. He was one of the few that I actually felt was interesting. Is he the Imperial spy? Yeah, yeah. it's always yeah. He's yeah. okay. Uh, I'd have to. He, he's interesting, yeah, right. because of his background. Right, and you know what? Because I remembered him, 
I agree with you. The only other character to me that sticks is Mr. Bones. The droid yeah. is going to be very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed I left him off the list. Wars, yes, and yeah. every battle droid is now Mr. Bones, and that's a, that's a problem because I laugh way too hard at inappropriate <laughs> times. So, uh, something that really struck me while reading this one is aftermath and a lot of the novels we have now. They, I, I feel like, and tell me if this makes sense or not. The only reason these novels can exist is because we already had the original expanded universe. I do, like if this was if we'd never gotten the original expanded universe and this is what we were getting, I don't think we would the fans as a whole would be okay with it. Be like, well, you're telling me a story, but there's no Luke. Like, there's Han, but he's not even a main character. We're barely getting inside his head. None of these things work when like they work now because it's like, okay, we got the original expanded universe. We have a version of stories where it's focused on them, but I don't know. Hmm. I, I think Bloodline would still have passed muster because it was a layup. Bloodlines, Bloodlines would have passed, yeah. 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 Blood, you're right, with pretty book. much everything else. Yeah, well, in terms of the the post-Jedi yeah. novels, of which mm-hmm. there are, what, four? Uh, or, or three? Four, four, including Lost Stars. Um, yeah. Just, and the way things are wrapped up, so, like, I... So, things we know, just jumping ahead to the end of the book very quickly... Mm-hmm. The Superstar Story Ravager is above the planet Jakku, and Ravager is one of the last, is part of the last fleet of the Empire. And it's the well, last Superstar Destroyer. Well, mm-hmm. maybe. Well, they, it sounds like so there may say. be some others. Hopefully. So they say. So they say. But uh, we also know from Battlefront that Ravager is destroyed above Jakku, and that's kind of the end of the Imperial fleet. Mm-hmm. So across three books, we're pretty much seeing what the previous expanded universe spent what, probably 10 years or so writing, kind of the end of the Empire and the birth of the New Republic. It just, it feels very much like they're jumping ahead to kind of the end of that part of the story. Yeah, in Legends, it took, what, six years to make all that happen? And this is happening within months of the end of the Battle of Endor? It's actually more. It's, uh, I think it's, wasn't it, it's eight to ten years, because Thrawn is six years after Return mm. of the Jedi, and then there's another... I want. I don't remember how long until the duology, the Thrawn duology is. I thought. Oh, it was I wasn't like, even counting Thrawn. I was just counting up right yeah. through the end of well, Zin. Hasn't it been? Yeah. X Wing series in the Back to War. I thought Thrawn was a whole another new threat. Yeah. Hasn't it been a couple of? Hasn't it been a couple of years though at this point with with in life debt yeah. because there was a couple month jump in the book. No, right? it's wasn't there? it's months. It's months. It's, it's very months. very soon after. Okay. Yeah, and I know we did see the Battle of... Yeah, because I thought the Battle of Jakku was like six months after. We saw it in Star Wars Battlefront. We saw it in Lost Stars. Lost Stars, yeah. Uh, we I saw still haven't it. read Lost Stars yet, unfortunately. You should. You should. It's uh, a good book. Go get it. You know, we, we saw... We, so we've definitely seen it in a, in a few different places so far, different different perspectives on it, but... Um, we have one yeah, it's probably really definite months. way to calculate how far out it is, and that is something you have to pay very close attention to in this book, and that is how pregnant is Leia and who knows about it. Ah, uh, yes, you're mm. right. And I love that Singer was the person that figured it out. I thought <laughs> that was a delicious little touch. Yes, but you can, you can calculate how far out from the Battle of Endor if That's you do true. that math. Also, Amanda, you mentioned uh, the Rogue Squadron series. I have to say, I was a little ticked that Wedge is putting together a new squad of misfit uh, soldiers mm. named Phantom Squad. 
mm-hmm. which is basically just Wraith Squadron. It really yeah. bothered me. Yes, it is. I mean, I mean it's Wraith Squadron with it's, the serial number it's, 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 I'm it's sure it's meant to be another. just like a... I'm sure it's meant to be just kind of like a, a nod to EU fans, but if you're going to make Phantom Squadron, just... Uh, just do like you. You can just mention it directly. You don't need to kind of dance around it. Yeah, you 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 actually, as someone who has the permission of the story group to be writing this, you don't have to file the serial numbers off of everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. As as we know now, we're getting Thrawn back, and he's still blue. Yep. He has pupils, though. That's the one big he difference. But, can I? Uh... <laughs> can I? Can I? In in this discussion, can I just say? Please, please, please go listen to the Star Wars Report, the the Couch <laughs> Potato Guide to uh, Celebration Europe, because I really hate to say this. I don't want to do it again. I went off politely on this whole expanded universe Disney character type deal thing that's going on and rewritten history and all that. I was polite. Nathan, I think, kind of enjoyed it, too, I think. But... Um, I don't want to go into that again. Listen to the Star Wars Report Couch Potato Guide to to Celebration Europe because I think I got on That's a big... Where your yeah, I I got on... Guys, I felt so bad. I got on a soapbox about this. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. You know, it's, it's deserving of a soapbox, though. Yeah, and, and if, if you, you guys understand, I took flat-out neutral ground on this and, and I kept it to where I tried to use logic... And I think I did a good job, but yeah. I, I at the end of the thing, I'm just like, um, try to find me on Twitter. <laughs> you won't. Um, <laughs> um, Facebook, I'm locked down. Try it. <laughs> Not happening. Uh, but send your stuff to the Ion. Tom loves podcast. to be social. Oh God, do I love to be social <laughs> on a podcast only? So I'm sorry. One way. Yeah. You can way. email us or or send a message to Ion Cannoncast, and we'll yeah. we'll forward your messages on to Tom. Thank you. But, but um, let's get back to the show. I I just yeah, I, but, I, I wanted to just put that there as a footnote. So anyway. Yeah. But uh, let's see where where were we? So I I was uh, it's a little bit sad in some ways that really all of the post. Okay, so w- w- let me back up. When The Force Awakens came out, we knew that Luke was missing. We didn't know how long Luke had been missing for. And then Bloodline no. came out. We're like, sorry? No, sorry. I'll let you finish. We, I... we, we knew it had probably been a while, long enough to kind of forget about him a little bit or make him like a myth. But Bloodline came out. We, we found out it was at least 10 years. Um, and now with this book, we actually find out that Luke has already gone off on his he mission. Can't, but he can't be missing yet. He's, yeah, he's got to come back. Cause, you think so? Because it sounds like Leia has, to, Leia has to send um, Ben off ben. Oh, you're to right, train. you're right. Okay, you're and right. And somehow, and this is my yeah, thing right. that no one else oh, seems to point. have noticed. Sorry, I forgot somehow that. Leia has to get R2-D2. Yeah. Oh, that's because true. Leia yeah. has okay. R2-D2. You're, you're right then. Yeah. That makes me feel better. Cause, uh, because Luke was gone, like he's, it just seems like he's constantly gone in the uh, in the new the new canon. Not just like, like not the holding their cards close until we see episodes eight and nine. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, hopefully just episode. Eight. I don't want to go too long without having any Luke centric stories in this era. We, it, well, it, it's not just like, Oh, Luke is like, it's not, just not like, Oh, Luke is at the Jedi temple training some guys or something. Mm-hmm. He's, we will not he's see a single Luke gone. story until after episode eight. I, I would have to agree. I with think Steven. you're right there. Yeah. I yeah. would have to agree with Steven or at some point, the birth of Ben, 
And then at yeah. some point, you know, he's got to go off for training, depending on how it's yeah. going to happen. If it's after episode eight or somehow within the novels, they decide to, you know, fast forward a bunch of years. We don't know. Do you think we'll see uh, the birth of Ben in, in the, the third and final book in the Aftermath trilogy? Empire I, so. I, I do not. I think it would no. be a hint. I don't think we'll see it. I think it would be a hint that it happened. Um, I, I Again, doing the math. Um, depending on how much time jumps be- mm-hmm. before the very end of the book when Leia's like, sorry, I'm late, guys. Let's go to Jakku. Uh-huh. Which I love that that's where the book ends. Um, it just doesn't look like it's going to be time for those events to occur unless the battle right. wages for months, which mm-hmm. it could. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're probably don't, right. Don't we get a kind of an idea of how that battle of Jakku goes out because of Lost Stars? Because oh, yeah. everything... we, we know exactly yeah. from from the game from Battlefront from Lost Stars from yeah. all this stuff. So, yeah, it'd be more like the the interesting thing here will be what what these characters do during the Battle of Jakku. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but everything seems is definitely converging on that big moment. Yeah. And, so. and I'm gonna and, say... and it seems like there's a Jakku seems to have a much greater importance too than we initially thought. Well, we found out in you this know? book. I think how important it is because that that mysterious Grand Admiral, at the end of the book, you find out he comes from Jakku. Mm-hmm. Right. Not well. Not only is he from Jakku, there's a there's an underground base Something. on Jakku. Yeah. So, uh, which which was referenced in the visual guide and I believe Lost Stars as well references this. Really. But we don't really know too much about it, and uh, so. You know, Jakku is not just this random planet. It has major, major importance junkyard. to the galaxy. Yeah. But it's it's so. a junkyard, but it's something else. I mean, if you look at Lothal, they've built up it, Lothal within Star Wars Rebels for something. There is something going on in Lothal, and then now you've got Jakku is the same thing. There's something going on in Jakku. So I remain convinced this is something that the new canon has been bro- uh, bringing up in almost every novel they can, this the kind of mystical Jedi temples or Sith temples. Um, Tarkin brings it up, which I thought was kind of a big indicator because Tarkin's not a book where you'd expect to hear anything about Sith temples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I would bet money that uh, whatever's on Jakku is some sort of either Jedi or Sith temple. Okay, that would make sense as to why Lor Santeca ended up camped out on top of it too. Right. And I would think just to throw another little curveball on this. I would think it's got to be Sith because it's so desolate. It's dead. Mm-hmm. And to me, that would be more of a Sith planet than a Jedi temple. Well, yeah. and how about the fact that we see Gallius Rex stowing away and meeting a guy named Sheev coming off that planet? Yes. Uh-huh. That guy yep. would have a lot more business in a Sith temple than a Jedi temple. Yep. Yes. Yes. So, you, so since you brought up Gallius Rex, uh, let's, let's talk about him for a minute. Um at the end of Aftermath, there was this big shadowy figure who was revealed to be pulling all the strings. And I was actually really surprised how quickly they just revealed it and presumably put all their cards on the table. Mm. And it's, it's just like, trap. oh yeah, it's just it's 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 Fleet Admiral Gallius Rex and Rex and he's he's pretending to be Sloane's advisor, but he's actually the one running everything. Although you know, as much as big of a secret as it is, like the entire, uh, what was the name of the, the the panel he basically put together? Like oh, the, the Shadow, Shadow Council. Council. Yeah, the Shadow, Shadow Council. I was close. Shadow, the Shadow yeah, Council, which again reminded me of uh, Crimson Empire, which has the kind of 
similar concept, I think. Yeah. That is how it visually appeared in my head. So I appreciate yeah. <laughs> just me that had that thought. But, so what, what did you guys think of the um, of Gallius Rex in general? Um, do you think we know everything about him at this point? Or at least, you know, we don't know every little detail, but is he actually Gallius Rex? I mean, the big, the big theory was that he was Thrawn early on. It does not sound like that's at all the case. I think they want us to think he's Snoke. Oh, that's yeah, a good one. I think they're setting up the, that the he's Snoke. Snoke. That's it. To me, it's like, hey, look at this. Doesn't this look like this guy that was Palpatine's friend and who's commanding all of these things is going to be Snoke? I don't think it, that's the but case. We know, that, I don't think he can be we know that Snoke has been around since the prequel era, right? Isn't that one of the things that came out of Episode 7? I seem to recall um, that. Or that he, because I thought he had watched the rise of the Empire. There is some line along something like that. Shoot, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't. I, don't I only think Maz says a line true. like that. Yeah, Maz yeah. has been around I, forever. In I, any case, I I don't think he's Snoke. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. I think I don't it, either, but I think I they think want Yub us to think that is more yeah. likely to be Snoke. Yub Tashu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which but. is such a great name. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm I'm a little divided on Gallius Rex. He, it sets up the nice some conflict within the Empire. But I just, I wish we spent more time feeling the, the dissolution of the Empire, mm-hmm. like and how it's breaking up into factions and what that means and all because they spend instead, so little time like, actually dealing with it. It's just yeah, like oh, it's all we really happened. See the Gallius Sloan faction. And then we hear about other factions mm-hmm. that are out there. But yeah. well, and then um, I, I the way he the... double crosses Sloane by mm-hmm. the end, though. Yes. I am. I'm interested to see how that faction fractures. Mm-hmm. Because if I was her, I'd be flipping tables at that point. I think she's. So I, I think she has a surprising amount of patience. Yeah. For an imperial. <laughs> well, no, that, that's very true. But I think, at least from this aspect, the one thing. I would say I kind of like watching is what's happening to Sloan because she's being manipulated like you wouldn't believe. And I agree. She should be flipping tables right now for the way that she got set up at this, this celebration she was at, but she came well, to this, be a treaty basically. Well, it right? was yeah, peace, peace talks peace between talks. the, the new Republic and the empire. And Sloan then she comes. got played. Right. And, and she gets played big time. She got played big time because she came to the realization that the empire technically is now turning into the rebellion if i read that correctly and yeah, she doesn't there's like much that more guerrilla tactics so Just yeah like she, the rebellion. She, i remember she she specifically hated the fact that you know she she went to um chandrilla with the uh knowing that there would be an attack right right that and the, i think she the, wanted the, a the would, would attack yeah, yeah she was thinking aerial bombardment yep. a star destroyer's raining death from above and instead what exactly she, yeah, she expected the candidate Thing that yep. was not what she right with with all of the prisoners that you know Han and Chewie and the the rest of everybody you know they, they freed on on Kashyyyk, including Nora's husband, which uh, which looks good for Wedge in the long run. It, it does, yes. Uh, they all turn on the the crowd and on the New Republic leadership. Mon Mothma gets shot. Thankfully, mm-hmm. she's okay. They killed all. Uh, they did. I was gonna say I'm well, not so thankful that she's okay, but that, we'll get to that in a moment. I'm <laughs> agree Uh-oh. with you on that. 
They killed off Crick's Maydeen. Did you guys notice that? Are, are you sure? to be dead. They have not yeah. confirmed the I death of General Maydeen, and I am dead. not going to buy that it was... until they, like, eulogize him. <laughs> okay. That's how I, I read it as well. Book. Okay. But yeah, I, I mean, like... I, I don't want to believe that. was definitely that. more of a guerrilla tactic than, yes. you know... Um, uh, well, then what she's used to, she's used to a flat-out yeah. spaceship aerial... The power of the battle. Empire. Yes. Right. With rules of engagement. Yes. Like, this yeah, whole Manchurian candidate trick thing they pulled, which, by the way, is one of the few things in this book that surprised me. I legitimately yeah. didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Neither did Admiral Sloan. I mean, I, I started to see... The, I started to notice... I, I had a feeling something bad was going to happen when... After uh, he was going on too many walks... Um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I started going, oh, you know what? That he He's going, like, something's wrong. Something's going on. And then Temin follows his dad on one of these walks. And his dad shoots Temin. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, thankfully stunned him. Yep. Right? Yeah. But that that was the first shock. Well, I, as soon as he saw his dad, I, I thought something was going to go bad, you know. So I guess it wasn't too surprised they shot him. And then the fact that you know, they all just pulled out their weapons and, and, and shot the New Republic leadership while on, on the stage and stuff. Again, but, the concept uh, borrowed from Rogue Squadron, but that's okay. Yes. Steven, you mentioned a frustration with Mon Mothma. You want to go into that a little more? So let me describe a character we saw in episode, well, in deleted scenes in episode three. She's one of ten people in the entire Galactic Senate of thousands who believes that, you know, even that the Republic needs to change, we need to save the Republic, you know, all these sorts of things. It's a very, uh, I would call it idealistic point of view. Mm -hmm. It is not the pure practical, you know, don't worry about planets that are still enslaved, it's okay, Mon Mothma that we see in uh, post-Return of the Jedi. And it's it's not even she's not even consistent throughout this book because at the beginning of this book she asks Leia what happened to her idealism, and then halfway through when Leia is fighting for that, Mon Mothma becomes this completely cold-hearted, very much what old-school fan fiction used to convey her as, a politician who does not think with her heart at all. Yeah, and, I didn't like that either. And it's it, not even it bothered that. me. I don't even, like, I wish I could call her just practical, but I don't feel like she's being practical either. She's like, well, we've taken out, a, we think, half of the Imperial fleet. I think that's those are kind of the numbers they're throwing around. Or at mm-hmm. least we've accounted for half. There's another quarter that's missing, and, you know, Sloane's got the last bit. But, it, you know, I think we really should just try and disband the entire military. Really no reason for us to have it. Like, yeah. she's... You know, we've got a couple of systems. We don't need to worry about anything else. We're fine. And yeah, I feel like I, Mon Moth would be more the person who's like, I want to go free every single planet mm-hmm. until they're out from under the, the clutches of the evil galactic empire. And I think and, she's way too busy, like, playing at respectability at this point. Yeah. and, I, and We it have does... to be what we said we were going to be. And Leia's like, that's actually not what we said we're going to be. We said we were going to liberate all these people. And now what we're being is a sitting government who's sitting and doing nothing but sitting. And don't yeah. I remember a line where she said that she expects some of the planets to come to them? Oh, yeah. 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 And so, yeah. She's more interested in running the government and being like, you know, well, we can't do anything without a vote. Um, which, I mean, is fair to some degree. But, like, it's, I don't know. 
they spent a lot of time ignoring what I feel like are the some pretty clear realities of the galaxy, which is, you know, the Empire's still around and the war's not over. Like, war wasn't even on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... She's it's very much pushing. involved in what is correct instead of what is right. And I'm very curious to see how they portray Mon Mothma in Rogue One. Is it is it a sudden shift that she goes through um, post-Return of the Jedi when she realizes, okay, we've effectively won. Now, now we need to focus on the government and forget the battle. You know, or is it a a reshaping of her character across everything? So if this book had been about a Wookiee, a a planet other (laughs) than Kashyyyk, I would have been a little bit more able to buy it. Like if it were just some random planet that had no value, just kind of like, oh, well, the Empire has control of it. You know, I accept that it doesn't make sense to rush the planet and try and free it. But when you're talking about Kashyyyk, which is a, you know gotten some of the worst of the empire mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. full in slavery destroying the environment like all of it that i feel is like a it's hard to feel like mon mothma's on being even right or even correct when she's against freeing slaves like yeah i mean it just typically the empire comes in when they're on a planet like they're they're oppressive like they'll take things over they'll take the resources for themselves they'll put people to work but a lot of people had very happy lives under the Empire, as, as we've seen, right? And they can kind of convince themselves that they're the good guys, even though they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, Kashyyyk didn't have that, right? Because, like, the people on Lothal, for example, it, it, their lives are not perfect, but they're not, like, all enslaved. Uh, Kashyyyk, literally everyone on this planet is enslaved. They have, like, collars around their necks. And if they try to re- re- revolt, they'll either be killed or their family members will be killed, like... This is some heavy, heavy stuff here. Okay, but I think the entire planet's being sh- all the Wookiees are being shipped off planet to go, you know, build the Death Star and work in, you know, all these other, you know, terrible conditions. But but I think so you think that they want to go rescue these guys. I know, but I think I think you touched on something at least when it came to the Empire. The Empire, the reason why Lethal was the way it was, is because it wasn't populated by an alien race. Because the Empire, as exactly. we all know. They, they kept, you know, uh, Grand Admiral thrown off to the side because he was an alien. When it came to the Wookiees, that whole planet was populated by aliens. So for them, yep. they are going to sit there and, and do what they did to them. But that does go against what Bon Mothma, if she wants to go free them, her job is to get there and free them instead of like, you know, we'll get there at some point. Because that was the whole purpose of the rebellion. It was to basically fight for that, you know, the equality stuff. Right, and Kashyyyk has seen the worst yeah. of the yeah, uh, yeah, you, you know, would think uh, of yeah. the bombs. Yeah, uh, aside from aside that. from Alderaan, I would say well, that Kashyyyk has got the worst, some of the worst of it. That's <laughs> right. Remember Alderaan. I mean, Alderaan bl- was blown up. Was you can't get much soon? worse than that. Yeah. But no, it's been forty years. Or okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always too soon. It's always too soon. Poor Alderaan. Yeah, but um. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is surprising they didn't go rescue the Wookiees on Kashyyyk. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, even the even the Republic sent resources to Kashyyyk during the Clone Wars. Okay, now mm-hmm. I I do have a little bit of an issue, unless I read this wrong, because like I said, I was only reading the dialogue. But if the book <laughs> mentioned that Han Solo was going and recruiting 
you know, scoundrels and and this going around getting bounty hunters and everybody to recruit. The way this book presented it, he really didn't recruit these guys. If I read correctly, recruit this group to help him. They just said, look, we were here to find you and we're not going to leave until we bring you back. So, so in the my smugglers, opinion, the, the smugglers, the lowlifes, you know, basically scoundrels. I thought I read it that he was recruiting these guys. He did, so but that, that actually happened off camera. Yeah, it happens before the novel begins. And Han goes to recruit out... the smugglers. It so turns that's into a the trap first batch. And... Okay, that's the first yeah. batch, and he yeah. escaped. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it turns out that the person that gave him the intel was actually double-crossing him. They get in a big fight. Okay. People get captured. Han manages to get away, but Chewie okay. gets captured. So, so a public service into this and a public public service notice to all you folks out there: see what happens when you only read the dialogue of a Chuck Wendig book. So please. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to throw it out, Tom. I had to throw it out there because I don't. I, know, people... I don't think most people would think to just read dialogue. Tom. I know, but but you know something. I have That's to throw a very it out creative there. way to do it, though. I know, but I have to throw it out there because people are gonna, people are probably going to go. Well, you're not that big of a Star Wars fan if you're not going to sit there and read a Chuck Wendig book. Well, you know what? I read his book. This is what happens when you only read the dialogue. So, so Tom, you can. The other trick is what I normally do, which is you read three quarters of the book and then realize you don't have it finished before the review. And then you just kind of nod and make comments. <laughs> about Wait, it. did yeah. you not actually finish the book, Steven? Uh, no, no, I have read the book. This okay. one I did finish. I was, I was referring, I think it was the, uh, Tarkin. I was like, yeah, two chapters it was Tarkin. Yeah. That I didn't okay. finish. But. So I knew I read... you did it once. I was worried. I was like, you told me yesterday you finished it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually sat down and I was like, okay, I've got three, okay. uh, you know, 50% to get through. And I read, I, I didn't actually have trouble reading this book. It, yeah. For all my complaints about the story and the setting, I thought it, he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I read it on my flight to to London. Um, and you read half of it on your flight to London, uh, and half of it on the way back. <laughs> and and I was hoping and well and bits and pieces in line. Unfortunately, my due to shipping errors, my review copy never arrived, and so. Um, I, was I, so I hoping bought it on on Audible. I'm sorry, I bought it on Audible and, and Kindle, and just read it on the on the plane and in lines at Celebration and stuff. Yeah, I was so but yes, you're right. Been. I didn't have it quite finished by Celebration. Unfortunately, I was hoping to do that. Um, so I couldn't talk spoilers with you. It was terrible. I know, I know, but that's what <laughs> we're here for. for. For the record, I read it in six hours. It showed up really? Tuesday at eight in the morning, and I sat down and read it. Yeah, very impressive. Very because impressive. that's how I roll. See, I had a hard time getting into this book. Uh, honestly, I had to force myself to get through it because it, it, I had I so had a hard time because of his writing. I went from a ghost uh, uh, Tom Clancy Ghost Squad book right into this. So getting that gear shift into his writing was hard. And now I'm going back from his book back to the Ghost Squadron book. Yeah, that's well, Part of why I reread Aftermath right ahead of time. Okay. So I was in that headspace already. And, um, you know, the dedication talks about it's to anyone who gets all googly when Han Solo steps on the page. And that's me. Mm-hmm. So yes. I had that. So, so what did you think of Han Solo's characterization and, and kind of the, the plot revolving around him? What would you think of him in, in this, him in this book? I actually thought it was better than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I fear when authors that I am not intimately familiar with start messing with characters that I am intimately familiar with. Um, but I think Han was done pretty well. Yeah. See, I actually, I think I have to disagree. Okay. It's, 
I, so there are parts of it, like the loyalty to Chewbacca I thought was there. I did not feel like his loyalty to Leia and friends was there. So like this is... It was you, subtly you know, stated. You had to be looking for it. Yeah. Okay, but if that's I don't the know. case... It just, and maybe, like, I... You know, I, I feel like I'm so used to the Han that went respectable in the old EU to kind of go back to Han that is still very much... He was more a new a, hope Han rather than, I think, Return of the Jedi Han. Would that, would exactly. That be good? And I, yeah, and I... I Characterization? No, yeah. I think you're right because I, I think that showed between the dialogue of Han and Leia when they met. Because when I read that, to me, that was Han Solo right there. The that, two of them actually bouncing back, off each other. I thought that other. was perfect. Yes. That I, I loved. Yeah, and and you see, Stephen, I'm like the happy medium here. I'm like, I had no problem the way the Han that Han was, but right when it got to that point, I'm like, that's Han Solo. I think yeah. toward the end, when he was sitting there basically looking at Chewbacca, if, to me, okay, I'm, I don't want to pull a Disney on this, but this is how I felt. It's like Baloo and Bagheera saying, "Mowgli, go on, go on, go on, come back, come back." It's like here's here's Han Solo saying, "Chewie, no, you've got to stay with your family. No, you've got to stay. No, you've no, done. You did. No." It's like you know what? That to me was like that was not Han Solo. That scene was a little weak. Thank you. But like halfway through the book, when he says they made me a general, but I didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, follow like, what's on some schematic. I'm like, yeah, that's General Solo. He's still flying by the seat of his pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And later on, when he talks about wanting to go home and being apart from Leia as hell on him, I'm like, yeah, I needed that line in there. Without that line, I would have not felt as strongly that his character was done justice. Right. Yeah. Because it definitely proves its point when you get to The Force Awakens. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll be very curious to see you know, why they... They they still remain apart for for you know so long and they probably have some time together as well between this book. Well, I think and they do. It's Force implied that they do until Benley. Bloodline, rest. Yeah. yeah. So so they're because yeah, it, Bloodline takes place only six years before the Force Awakens, and as much as they're not always occupying the same space, they're still happily married. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I think it's the part that, as Carrie Fisher said, when their son became naughty Hitler, that, um, <laughs> that everything fell apart yeah yeah yep it's too bad um right should we talk briefly about the the state of kashika now we kind of alluded to it um it, it sucks on kashik like they were they actually started an orbital bombardment of kashik which reminded me of which planet was it in the the eu that got or an orbital bombardment. it was a, yeah, like they actually started to destroy. Was it Kashyyyk? It was like in the later, oh. like Legacy of the Four. Well, I'm about to say, are you talking about in Empire like... and Rebellion? Oh. In, um, yes, it is. Kashyyyk. Honor Among Thieves. Maybe that was it. It was like right at the end of the EU. No, there yeah. is there is a scene from Legacy of the Force where uh, Jason yes, uh, that's what I was, burns yes. Kashyyyk down essentially. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Han and Leia spend like months putting out fires. Yeah, yeah. So it reminded yeah, me because he's just such a nice person. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really too bad. And we had this very interesting prison, uh, on, on the planet that they have to break into and, uh, and try to free their bookies from all. And, and they're, they're basically using the prisoners as like a was, way to power the machine. Yeah. Like the human prison. batteries. Yeah. Very, very creepy. Now mm-hmm. that was an interesting take within the star Wars universe. 
is to have something like that because that's almost like you take a look at the Night Sisters when the Night Sisters uh, die or however they put him in the cocoon thing. I mean, you could see it from that aspect, but the Empire doing something like that—that that's kind of creepy that they would do Mm -hmm. that. It's almost like something you'd you'd imagine seeing in the um, uh, the Death Troopers, Mm -hmm. you know, Red Harvest uh, novels. Yeah. So that the prison on Kashyyyk is. Do you remember what the name of the race that built it was? Was it like the Praetori? Oh shoot! Is that so the, that anyway, might be the, right. I, I forget. The, the prison that they rescue Chewbacca and everyone else from is some ancient ship, alien ship that crashed on Kashyyyk, um, and we we don't know who they are. Which I like ancient alien civilizations has always been kind of one of my favorite sci-fi tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars, we have the Rakata, and I I kind of wonder if this is the new canon version of that. Hmm. And I'm very, very interested, and I'm kind of sad because we'll probably—it was probably meant to be kind of a one-off, and I doubt it'll come up again, or if it does, very, very rarely. But you never I know. Was, yeah, you never know. I can, I can hope. That would be cool. I, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff as well. Um, and yeah, it was definitely a lot of other brutal stuff. Like Jom actually completely loses one of his eyes. Um, people get beat up quite a bit. Um, so yeah, it's it's Chuck Wendig is not not very kind to planets and characters in this book. That's no. for sure. No, and, and <laughs> every almost every couple, Han and Leia, are the only couple that doesn't break up in this book. Yeah, that's if yeah. you notice, that's everybody gets yeah, a love right. interest, and then you're everybody right. gets broken up. I Jazz mean, it's a middle Yom, book, right? So we can hope and... for some reconciliation in the third book, but. Yeah, like, that's a little brutal. And even then, he kind of stretched Han and Leia thin, where Han's running off and doesn't want Leia to find him, and mm-hmm. <laughs> got to rescue Chewie. Well, but, he, but he has this wonderful soliloquy when he's like, "If anybody understands what it is to be committed to something greater than yourself, it's Leia. Like she yeah. understands. She she gets me. Yeah. So De- definitely, we got our little shippy moments. Uh, so let's see. I think, is there anything else we haven't discussed yet about the book? So, to be fair, we've really not talked about any of the actual main characters of the book. <laughs> On the other true. hand, I'm kind of okay with that. You know what, so am I. Like, I mean, we, we talked about Nora, and uh, we talked a little bit about Temin. Um, yeah. I guess Jas and Sinjir are the only two we haven't. Jas was the bounty um, hunter, right? And Jom. And Jom. Yeah, and, so Jas yeah, is Jom the bounty hunter. Been... She's Cassie Cryer's niece. From the Clone Wars, uh, which is really cool. Sugi's niece. Uh, sorry, not, yeah, thank you, Sugi, not Cassie Cryer. But they're they're all part of that. Say, I have no idea who Cassie Cryer is, but Cassie Cryer is runs with Sugi and the rest okay. of them in that episode. Mm. Um, yeah. But sorry, Sugi, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Sugi's niece. And then. I, uh, so speak talking on Jazz for a second. I actually, yeah. I will say I liked her story arc here. Her kind of. Uh, Basically pulling a, a mini Han Solo where she's like, oh, no, I'm just here for the money. Definitely mm-hmm. here for the money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely Maybe an not. echo. Mm-hmm. It's your typical bounty hunter arc. Well, unless you're Boba say. Fett. But yeah. But yeah. Boba Fett did not have a typical bounty hunter arc. He had a very atypical <laughs> oh. bounty hunter arc. <laughs> the typical bounty hunter. So I think of everything else is not the typical bounty hunter. But anyway. Fair point. Fair He's point. exceptional. Yeah. And I thought Sinjir's uh, story was also pretty interesting. The kind of 
accepting that uh, he's not a good person, but he's he exists to do bad things for good people or for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Although Sinjur had a moment when he like got up out of bed and went back to a bar and picked a fight with some hobophobes that I thought could have been left out of the book. I didn't. I didn't need that extra moment of violence on his behalf. Yeah. yeah. Although speaking of violence, Mr. Bones oh. came into his own in this book. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. He was great um, in the first book, but oh my gosh, was he so much better in this one? When when he knocks out Han Solo and announces, mm-hmm. "I have subdued the target with yes, violence," that was actually I very dropped funny. my Kindle laughing. <clears throat> that was funny. It was fantastic. <laughs> Singing, dancing, murder yeah. bot. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of divided on Mr. Bones. Really? Okay. I find him entertaining. On the other hand, I feel like he exists outside of the realms of possibility. Like, he's he's a B1 battle droid, which we know are cannon fodder. Mm -hmm. But he gets to do things that no other battle droid can do. He gets to murder everything and kind of make quips about it. And he's funny, but... He doesn't feel realistic to me. Okay, I'm going to throw this out there. He sounds like the same kind of B1 battle droid that's in the Lego Freemaker Adventures. Yes. Although he's not yes. he's not as the the Lego one is not as deadly, but he still has that comedic kind of thing well, I think going all, with him. All the B1s definitely have a comedic element to them. Just yes. look at them in, you know, the Clone Wars or or whatnot. But um but you're right. In 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 the Freemaker Adventures um uh yeah, I know. I'm, I'm blanking oh, on the name because we're... It's, it's Roger. Roger. There, there we go. go. Uh, yeah. Of course it is. Of course yeah, it is. His, his name is Roger, which is fantastic. Uh, Roger is definitely more on the the goofy side of things mm-hmm. uh, versus Mr. Bones, who is... Um, uh, a one robot. Definitely he's more a bloodthirsty. Yeah. He's, a, he's a murder bot yeah. who also... I hope they are in danger so that I may perform egregious violence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, that's a direct quote from and, Mr. Bones. And, and I'll tell you honestly. Why I love him. And, and I, because I also. I need go ahead. That laugh. I and, just, that, that bit of comic relief, especially in a book this tense, we're talking about Wookiees with cranial bombs and non-functioning governments and Manchurian candidates. I, I don't mind the occasional laugh at the expense of the droid. And, and I will say the one thing I like about him, when he talks, it's all caps. You know he means yeah. business. Yeah. Because <laughs> he really is shouting everything. Oh, yeah. That's because I because I listened to the cause, because I was gonna be, I knew I was gonna be on a plane and flying all night. I bought the audiobook version so I could go back and forth. And I actually didn't listen to that version too much. I mostly just read it. But um, the way he's read in the audiobook version is just fantastic. You can that I would like to hear. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear that too. Now yeah, one day. So. Uh, so yeah, so we've got Mr. Bones. We have Jom. Um, He's your, your more of your your rebel soldier type of guy. Um, he goes through. He as we mentioned, he loses an eye. He has a lot of uh, difficulty. I don't know. I, I felt like there was less. John he didn't probably very heavily less than Jazz or especially Singer did in in this book. Um, Temin too grew quite a lot. He's now like an excellent pilot. He's kind Except of. Except he keeps crashing the simulator. Well, that's yeah. true. <laughs> what is like, does. I'd love to let you fly, but... But in real life, when he's actually behind the wheel, uh, the controls of a starship, he's, he does pretty pretty well for himself. He does. But he's learning uh, from Wedge Antilles, so of course he does. 
Yes. Because Wedge exactly. is the best of and, and both of his parents are pilots, so it's, you know, he, he's, he's got good, good, uh, good people teaching him how to, how to fly. And we know he grows up to be an ace, so. Yeah, and then that's, I think, the biggest, most interesting thing about his character. We know, like, yeah, they keep calling him Temin in this book, but we know that by the time The Force Awakens, everyone's going to be calling him Snap. And we, we uh, find oh, out we that Wedge is the one term. that gives him that nickname. Yeah. Wedge starts that's calling really, him Snap. Which is really cool. Before anybody uh, else does. So, again, that's another way I can connect to him. And when Empire's End comes out and I go back and reread these two books, I'm going to care a little more. Yeah. And you actually won't have that long to wait because Empire's End comes out on January 31st. So. Oh, oh, oh yeah. That's I have an alarm much set. faster than I expected. Yeah. Yeah, he's already uh, turned in the first draft, apparently. Yeah, as of today, I think, right? Or, no, no, no. It was this a few was days ago. I saw a, a, a tweeted picture from someone's desk at Delray. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, oh, I think it was announced like, at the um, during Comic-Con at one of the, 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 the panels, the Star Wars books panel, I think, at Comic-Con. Uh, he announced that he turned in the first draft. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't have, don't really have that long to wait for the, the final um, installment of this trilogy. Looking and then I know we kind of talked about Ray Sloan as well, but she she was very interesting in this book. Uh, I actually enjoyed her a lot more. Um, I thought she was so-so in A New Dawn, probably because it's just... I don't know if it's just like new character syndrome where it's harder to care about new characters that have nothing to do with um, the, the, the characters we know and love right now, at least until we see them in some other medium. I don't know what it is. But I wasn't interested in her. And in Aftermath, she was... She was decent. Toward the end, she got more interesting. And in this one, I, I really enjoyed her character. Yeah, um, I had to get used to her. I had to get used to the the reality of the new canon mm-hmm. through her. In that, oh wait, she's not Dala. Having a woman who is a Grand Admiral <laughs> is not this one huge anomaly. Right. So yeah, see, it actually she, took me to the second read to sort of get. She, she's basically her. a like she's Dala. She's Peleon. Yeah, she's yeah. Pelion. Yeah. yeah, is it Pelion? Pelion? I don't know what it is, but yeah, know. she's 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 almost like a combination of Dala and Pelion. But but it's not that people are shocked that a woman is in this position, right? Which is part of what made Dala so exceptional. So and they do see my way actually... into Admiral Sloan going. Oh, right, it's not that exceptional. I think that is actually probably one of the biggest or one of the bigger changes to the Empire in the new EU is the fact that in the old EU, it was a big thing that, like, you know, the Rebellion didn't care. They accepted everyone. The Empire was like, no, no women, no aliens. And that's why Thrawn was, you know, as, as you were saying earlier, Stephen, he was kind of relegated to the the unknown regions because, yes, he was technically a Grand Admiral in the Empire, but they didn't really want him flying around the, the galaxy uh, interacting with people. Um, but it seems like so far, aliens. yeah, it's like a, it's a non-issue in the, in the new canon. Like nobody thinks twice about it. Well, they, but that's they one still of those have things the aliens. Reset the universe. Well, no, they, 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 they oppress many aliens like the Wookiees, right? But at right. least in terms of Imperial officers who are aliens, they don't, I think we've had a couple instances of those now okay. and they don't really seem to care. But they're all roughly humanoid, mm-hmm. bipedal, basic speaking. That is true. Yes. So they basically can, they conform to the empire, still. Yes, yeah. they can fit the uniform. Yes. 
That is true, yes. And, and also realize they're going to have to do something now that the Empire is crumbling. They may have to, let's say, bend their rules and bring in some other species that are maybe biped, close enough to being human, that we might be able to accept as being part of the Empire now instead of where you should just be human only. Mm. So And... That all other species were under the thumb of the Empire, right. but not so much part of the Empire. Right. Such as mm-hmm. Wookiees with cranial bombs. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. So. I think when say, it comes uh, to the, I think when it comes to the next book, I, if, if we're done, I just want to say this. I really want to see where they're taking Admiral, Grand Admiral Sloan in the next book. Because I think in this one, I am hoping... She's going to be kicking butt and taking names because she got burned at the end of this book. Yes, she, she has. Mm-hmm. She has got to be out of all the Imperials that are left. I hope she comes into this book not caring who she takes down because I think that Gallius Rex char- uh, character, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes in this or how he goes, <laughs> pun intended, when yeah. she gets a hold of him. Mm-hmm. Down on that Star Destroyer yep. as it crashes to the surface yeah. of Jakku, we hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I want I want to know more about Galleys. I I don't think we've I don't think we've uh they've revealed everything there is to learn about that character. I think no. there's a lot more that they're holding close to the chest and that will we will be I hope surprised cuz it so far it seems too run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Some guy that Palpatine found and you know kind of took under his wing and now, like, why is he not just taking control of the Empire? Why is he trying to do this behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Why does he need Sloan to be the, you know, the, the, the public-facing leader, the fall guy or the fall girl, whatever you want to say, right? Well, why, why does he need her to be the face of the Empire? And, and we are forgetting... There's something going on. And, and we are mm-hmm. forgetting one character. We're just going to throw this out here because he is kind of overlooked in this. Masamita. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, we could, that was yeah. that was a cool little scene. Yeah. I mean, he is just the, the one thing that and this isn't a Star Wars book that you've got a guy who's totally broken. I mean, you could just I would say I felt sorry for him going back to basically his quote unquote Chancellor's Palace because he is basically what's left over as a figurehead of the Empire on Coruscant. And he's in his office basically ready to end his life. That, he needs a therapy Ewok. He oh god, yeah. don't! I finally got to that page after we brought it up from the the Couch Potatoes Guide to Celebration Europe. That was actually brought up, and I'm like, huh? And then <laughs> two pages later, after that podcast, I hear about the therapy Ewok going. Oh, they had to figure out a way to make everybody sit there and feel nice because they we able liberated their planet. Really? Yeah, yeah, Commander. Really? Watch out, though. They might eat you. <laughs> well, maybe they should have given it to Masamita because that would have been a better way for him to go than possibly blowing his head off. I don't That's know. true. Anyway. It but, was a pretty funny moment, as ludicrous as it is. It was, totally. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I, uh, I said well, my piece about Masamita. Uh, I'm trying to remember if we touched on this already, but in Aftermath, I think the the best part of the book was the interludes. Um, cause that, that's where we kind of like got to jump around the galaxy and, uh, you know, it didn't really focus on the politics as much at that time. So we were all like anxious to know all the details and that's where we learned things like, you know, about Mon Mothma 
and how she wants to, you know, shut down the military and how, you know, about the, where the seat of government is. And we, we learn about, you know, this, this bounty hunter, uh, who actually becomes, plays a larger role in this book. Um, and there's like lots of really cool interludes in aftermath that some of which don't connect with the book at all and just kind of give us a feel for the state of the galaxy and others, you know, have a impact later on and whatnot. In this one, I felt like the interludes were, there were definitely fewer. I want to say there was like half the interludes we had. Yeah, totally. In, agree, uh, right. Totally. Agree. In aftermath, I think like eight instead of 15 or so somewhere in there. Those aren't exact numbers, but somewhere like that. And uh, I felt like there were fewer clues, and they were like to what to what's going on in the galaxy, and they were slightly less interesting. But there were still still some good moments. Well, I think the book basically focused on moving the story forward instead of having to give you those interludes to try and figure out what's going on in the galaxy, because it seems like they're focusing. This is how it's going to go to get us into the last book when Empire right, comes and I, out. And, and honestly, I feel like the plot of the last book was such that it made it difficult Squirrel. to. No, well, no, it yes. made Thank yeah, you. It made Somebody agreed. See, like, <laughs> Sorry. You're 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 right, but I think it made it difficult to say like, okay, here's the state here, here's what's going on like here's the main plot, right, with with uh, Nora and Temin and everybody. Mm. But also, here's what's going on with Leia and here's what's going on with Mon Mothma and you know, at the in the in the, in the, the capital of the New Republic. And here's what's going on with Han. And here's what's going on in other parts of the galaxy. Just because the plot was so small and focused uh, mm-hmm. on the new characters versus in life debt where the these characters are actually interwoven as we talked about with the main plot so you don't have to have these interludes that jump around to these characters because they're now core to the story right so agreed yeah there cool. was a thing that i want to say that hasn't been brought up yet is that just to sing the praises of the story group a little bit Reading through this and seeing how Leia in particular has a character arc in this book, you can draw a straight line to where she is 25 years later in Bloodline. Yep. Yeah. As far as her defiance yeah. of the government, you see at the beginning she's playing this very um, public role as the face of the New Republic. And by the end, she's stealing away in a starship to go to Jakku. Yep. Mm-hmm. 25 years later, she is not running the galaxy. She is, in fact, just sitting in the Senate representing her people, who you see an interlude of, are still quite devoted to her. Mm-hmm. And I think she pretty much, this is her first taste of, oh, wait, this may not be the government I thought I was fighting for. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I really like that. I really like that I can see with my bloodline-shaped crystal ball where she goes from here. And because it's a character I care about, that matters to me that there were, it looks like we're going to have that degree of internal consistency because the old EU, one of its greatest sins was that it sometimes made our favorite characters unrecognizable for stretches of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. This was definitely a well done, well done here. And there was also nice ties to other new canon works as well. Um, some of them are like, you know, references to, uh, you know, characters will pop up like um, Yvonne, uh, Leia's friend, um, who she oh, calls man. on for Yvonne help. Verlaine, I squealed when she stepped onto the page. Yeah, and she was in the Leia comic, right? Yes. Uh, from Marvel. 
or they're they're hinting at future stories like the they they talk about how a start there was a, the theft of a star destroyer that'll be told in an upcoming marvel comic uh so it is really cool how they're they're kind of weaving everything together and dropping little hints like a little reference here is actually a hint of a story to, to come mm-hmm. it's not a reference we got a to something that's just in the past and bloodline Exactly. And now, yeah. and now all of a sudden, boom, he's this huge character in Rogue One coming out of the pages of the Clone Wars or off, or off the screen from the Clone Wars. So um, they're doing a good job of not just referencing past works, but also future works. And you can really see how all the pieces are starting to fit together. Yeah. And it took a while for that because for a while we're all like, what's going on? Yeah. But now that we have enough parts that we can go back and pick through them and start seeing things. It's really, it's exciting. Trust. And it's going to, it's only going to get better and trust in the story group. Mm-hmm. Yes. Indeed. And that's becoming easier and easier mm-hmm. as all of this unfolds. And they're like, Oh yeah, they really are rocking this thing. Okay. <laughs> they're doing a good yeah. job. Cool. All right. Are we ready for final roundup and reviews? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think we are. With that, uh, let's see. Steven, do you want to go first? I guess I brought it up, so I kind of deserve that. <laughs> well, I was sure. going to go first, but I didn't want to throw her into the bus, right? The no, I, I... So... <laughs> I'm trying to... I, I started to say, I I didn't really enjoy Aftermath, the first, the first novel. I find myself that I actually did enjoy reading... Uh, life's end it was actually i think the way i would describe it is it's not the story i wanted to hear but it's a story that at least held my interest while i read it if that makes sense mm-hmm. um not great um there were you know there are the things that bothered me or the things that didn't make sense um i felt like i forgot to bring this up actually but there was one l- moment where uh so nora and i don't remember who was with her they they take their ship and they're ambushed by star destroyers in space and a couple of uh, Alderanian frigates show up. And I thought they explained that they'd received a communication from the operator, and that was why they showed up. Does that, does that ring a bell for anyone by chance? Yes, yes, the yes. operator. Okay, that, so I, that's what I thought I read. And then later on, when it's, uh, they get a communication from operator about the peace treaty, and Sloan reveals herself, Leia comments that they haven't heard from operator since Akiva. That's right, I remember that now. But if you so, remember, Leia's not getting invited to meetings at this point. Yep. That, but wasn't but Mon Montha was part of that as well. I thought where Leia right? is purposely excluded. Okay, and if I understand yeah. that correctly, when it came to the operator, wasn't the operator the the that was Sloan? Turned out to be Rax. Rax. It was Rax. That's what I meant. It was Rax. that was well, the yeah. operator, right? Because he was setting up Sloan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, there were a couple of things like that that kind of were you know annoying, but not game breaking i just overall i enjoyed it It just uh i don't know i i'm still waiting for another book kind of like bloodlines but with the other big characters we love and know um so i think oh this is not i I should really have thought this through why did you make me go first (laughs) uh so i think i'd I'd give this probably a seven out of ten womp rats um good worth reading but i'm not sure i'll ever go back to it and read it again and with my seven out of ten womp rats I, oh, I guess, I mean, they're just going to be part of the Wookiee prison, I think. Part of the team that was rescued. 
seven Womp Rats uh, very sadly put away and rescued 25 years later. Can I go Sad next? for the Womp Rats. Can sure, go, Tom. Can I go next? Because I, ha- I have the perfect thing for the Womp Rats. I have okay. To. Yeah, but, go, Tom. Yeah, I have to. Um, I had to go back and check out what I wrote for uh, the first book, Aftermath. Uh, Aftermath, whatever it was called. Because I, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be the same number. Because it would actually... I agreed this book was better than the first one. Because I figured out how to read it. Um, I did enjoy the book for what it was. It wasn't so much Squirrel as the first book. Um, I am giving this a 7. I've, I think I've said my piece on this book. I'm not going to go any further with it because I want to get to my Womp Rat scale because it's actually funnier than heck. I am going to take my 7 Womp Rats. I am going to give them to the Ewoks because since the Ewoks are the guys that are basically, <laughs> yeah, they are going to be the same thing the Ewoks are to everybody else because you know what? Ewoks need the love too. And since the Ewoks, therapy Ewoks, they are they are therapy sorry, therapy, therapy womp, womp rats. They are therapy womp rats for the therapy Ewoks because you know at some point an Ewok is going to lose his mind and get ready to eat the person he's supposed to be doing therapy with. So to back him off of that ledge. So what happens when the womp rats go crazy? Are there therapy insert lot cats for the womp rats? Maybe I don't know. You know what? I haven't even thought that far. I would say take them and give them to uh, Masamita. That way he could actually feel a little bit better um, because a therapy yeah. Ewok wouldn't help him. So let's give a therapy Ewok a therapy Womp Rat. All right. Yeah. Uh, who's next? Good. Yeah. Amanda, do you want to go next? I, I'm fine going next. Um, okay. I actually enjoyed this book. I, I did manage my expectations going into it, and so I was more pleased than I had um, set myself up to be. And um, that said, I enjoyed it. I have read it twice um, because the first time I read it in six hours, and you can't get everything in a quick read like that. Um, Resulting, I would give it 8.5 out of 10 Womp Rats. Um, And those Womp Rats are, in fact, chewing on the wiring of Phantom Squadron's X-Wings because if nothing's broken, it's not Star Wars. Nice. Nice. Okay, I'll go last. Um, I feel like I've said most of what I have to say. It was, I enjoyed this. Um, I enjoyed Life Debt a lot more than I did Aftermath. Uh, it was enjoyable. It wasn't perfect, but um, it was a lot of fun. I liked how they weaved all the characters and um, everybody. It, it made sense why they were doing what they were doing, uh, why they were in the in the story to begin with, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm going to give it, uh, keep going back and forth on this. I think I'm going to go with eight, going back and forth between seven and a half and eight. I'm going to go with eight because I gave Aftermath a seven and a half. So I have to go a little bit higher, but give it eight Womp Rats. And uh, my eight Womp Rats are all going to go, um, Temin is going to send Mr. Bones to take the eight Womp Rats on a walk to the park. I don't know what'll happen. It probably isn't very good if Mr. Bones is with them alone, but you know, I'll let your imagination I, run from that. I'm sure it'll go as planned. <laughs> Womp rats and egregious violence. Sounds like a great combination. Perfect. That's that's what womp rats are for. <laughs> On top of being therapy womp rats for therapy Ewoks. Exactly. Yep. So uh, I think that's about it. Like like we said, we're going to come back um, hopefully in the next 
you know, week or so with our recap of Star Wars Celebration Europe 2016. It was at a fantastic time. Lots of great news, including a potential return for Ahsoka. I'll just put that out there. Tease that for the for the next episode. Um, with that, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you for having me. This is a great deal of fun. Oh, this is this is fantastic. I know you woke up extra early to uh, to join us because you're you're on the other side of the world. So thanks for for doing that. Anytime. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on. Do you want to tell uh, everyone where they can uh, where they can find you online? I know you started. You recently wrote an article for Eleven Thirty Eight. And I did. You're active on I Twitter did. As well. Oh, very cool. That article came out July the first, and it's on uh, it's on confirmation bias wrecking our experience of uh, fiction. So you might want to check that out at 1138.com. On Twitter, I am Manda the Ginger, and uh, I'm hilarious. So you should totally follow me on Twitter. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in there right now. Anyway. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and uh, we'll be back soon with our recap of Celebration Europe. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, the sequel trilogy, spin-off films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncannoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in touch with us by emailing contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions expressed on this show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans for fans and is copyright 2016.